who is to come to who is to come into the world. Let me just take this opportunity to say welcome uh, to all of you. Uh, there are some individuals I've, I've seen this morning that I have not seen in about two and a half years, at least uh, not face to face. Uh, we do have a couple with us, Daniel and his beautiful wife. Uh, they are visiting from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. They are members of the Midtown Church of Christ. Uh, that's a congregation that I spent a lot of time with when, you know, when we moved uh, to the U.S., and I'm, I'm really glad to see Daniel. Uh, Daniel, would you, would you mind just standing just for a second? That's Daniel, guys. That's, that's Daniel. I, I was telling one of the brothers this morning, it's, it's interesting how COVID has uh, kind of changed many, uh, especially for the men, right, many of our, like, facial features. Uh, individuals who didn't have beard before, all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, they're brandishing beautiful, beautiful, beautiful beards. Well, Daniel's beard was there pre-COVID. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, I'm really glad to see them. And I'm, I'm just looking forward. I've been trying to find a time uh, to at least go back and spend one Sunday, morning or evening, at, at Midtown. And it has materialized here, but I pray God blesses me with the ability to do that. Uh, the Midtown Church of Christ and the minister, Brother Harold Red, has been such a huge blessing uh, to my family and I. And as long as God allows me the faculty of memory, uh, I, I want to hold that congregation, and I hold that congregation in, in high esteem. Growing up, my, my grandmother uh, had this, this saying. And if you think about this saying, I mean, this saying could go anywhere, but uh, she always had this saying, when, when whoever you encounter in life, they, they are going to be found in one of three phases that life throws at them. And so she would say, sometimes the people that you encounter in life, they have gone through some things. She says, other people you would meet in life, they are going, th going through some things. And then if you live long enough, if you, if you haven't gone through some things and you have yet to go through some things, you, you just wait. You hold on a little bit longer because she said the truth is, the, the fact is all of us will encounter and go through some things in this life. And I was mindful of the fact that even Jesus would have uttered the words in the book of John chapter 16 verse number 33. That in this life, this is kind of the emphasis statement that he makes. He says, in this life, we will have, some translations would have, we shall have tribulation. We shall have distress. We shall go through trials and moments of difficulty. He says, in this life, in this world, we will have tribulation. However, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. As I think about these, these ideas and as I think about these thoughts, a, a lot comes to mind over these past few years and over these past few months and particularly over these past few weeks and, and days. 
It wasn't but about uh, two weeks ago where there was a terrible shooting in the area of Buffalo, New York. And then roughly about a week after, about a week ago, just during uh, this, this past week, we would have heard about the shooting that took place in the little area, the little town of Ul, Ulvalde, Ulvalde, Texas. And I'm aware of the fact that sometimes the child of God, though we believe in God, and I need to take my time and just, just build this for a second. The believer, the son, the daughter of God, though we hold God in high esteem and we get up in the morning and we pray and before we eat our meals, we pray. Some of us, we, 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 we are so devout that we even pray. We have grace after meals. I, I am mindful of the fact that though many of us believe in a God and though many of us understand that we will go through things and difficulty in this life, the truth is sometimes when difficulty hits, we have a problem. Because it's one thing if it was something small. It's, it's one thing if it was something minuscule. If, if I have $100 in, in my wallet or my purse, I don't have a purse, but I'm just trying to put myself in the position of a lady here. If I had $100 in, in, in my bank account and I lose 50 cents, it doesn't affect me all that much. But if I start losing dollars after each and every day, then it starts to, to add up. If I encounter one trial and it's minuscule and it's small by our standards, it, it doesn't affect us all that much. But when it starts to compound and it starts to pile up and when the intensity becomes heavier and heavier, that's when we begin to have some difficulties. So as I thought about our text this morning, I was, I was heavy with the reality of what we've been facing and what we have been going through as a people, as a community, as a congregation, and as a family for several weeks at a time. And I want to bring your attention into the book of John chapter 11, because I believe that there are some things that God is teaching us through the pages and through the writings of the Gospel of John, particularly as we engage in our text this morning, John chapter number 11. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that, that most of us are familiar with this text. This is where Jesus would have raised his friend, Lazarus, from the dead. If you were here on, on Easter Sunday, you would have heard me use this text or alluded to this text in a fashion that said that this was a preview of a true resurrection that Christ and God has in mind for each and every single believer, those who are in relationship with him. And I want you to keep that in mind, but I, I want to go into this text just a little bit further and a little bit deeper as we think about this issue of when tragedy hits. When tragedy hits, what do we do? If we believe that in this world we will, we shall suffer persecution, in this world we shall have tribulation, then it's not really a matter of if we will encounter hardship. It's a matter really of when. 
when we encounter difficulties, when we encounter trials. And as we think about that, I want us to appreciate that a huge part of the success of the human being and the Christian is having the ability to navigate our several difficulties that we will encounter in this life. The human being and the Christian has to learn how to navigate frustrations. Do, do we get frustrated at times, church? The Christian and the person has to learn how to navigate fear. There are things that we are fearful of and we have to learn how to navigate those things. The individual, the Christian, has to learn how to navigate heartbreak. Anybody here ever had or suffered heartbreak before? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? You, you, you thought you had met the one and it turned out that it wasn't that one and you, you went for days and weeks not eating right and not sleeping right. You, 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 you weren't sick physically. You were good. Everything was good. But you felt a pain in, in your chest and a pain in your back. Your eyes hurt. It's amazing how emotions could, could weigh in on our, on our physical well-being. The human being, the Christian, has to learn how to navigate anxiety. We have to learn how to navigate pain. We, we have to learn how to navigate despair. Even Christians, if you do, didn't know it, go through moments of despair. Church, we have to learn to navigate depression and alike. If we don't learn to navigate these moments and these instances, we will have some serious problems. So we come into this text in the book of John, chapter number 11. And I'm going to do something that I, I, I very rarely do. I, I'm going to assume that most of us here are familiar with this text. If you are not familiar with this account in John chapter number 11, I want you to go back in your homes and I want you to read this chapter from beginning to end. But I'm going to assume that most of us are familiar with this text. And really as I approach this text, I want this to be a word of encouragement for us as we think about what do we do when tragedy strikes. What do we do when tragedy strikes? Allow me to do some diligence really quickly and just share with you some background within the confines of the Gospel of John and, and help us to appreciate where this text falls. And, and I don't have you walking away thinking that Brother Morgan, he just, preached, you know, he just preached this text out of the air. I want you to see this text, John chapter number 11, in the context of the gospel account of the book of John. This Lazarus account, like the gospel that contains it, is unique and meant to teach the believer to look beyond the surface and see the heart, the mind, and the very character or nature of God. Our text in John chapter number 11 is one of seven recorded signs that the writer identifies within the confines of his total work of his gospel account. These signs were miracles, these miraculous works that pointed to a deeper spiritual meaning. 
In other words, as you go through the confines of the Gospel of John, you will encounter these, these three signs that John records. Uh, uh, you will encounter these three uh, defining miraculous works. And really what John is doing is he's highlighting these miraculous works, but he wants us to understand that we have to look beyond just the physical reality of these miracles to recognize that there is a deeper spiritual meaning that God intends for us to come to terms with and to see. So as we think about that, I, I want us to appreciate that each one of these signs, if, if I'm honest, each one of these signs has some shocking traits about it. What do you mean, preacher? Well, if you think about one of the signs in question, you, you don't have to go far. You just have to go to John chapter number two. And in John chapter number two, Jesus is in a marriage feast. And in the marriage feast, the wine runs up. Kyle, the wine runs up. The oinos runs out. And when the oinos runs out, Jesus' mother comes to him and, and, and she wants them, he wants him to do something about it. And he has this dialogue with her woman, what have I to do with you? You, you know, my time has not yet come. And she, she, she listens to him and she turns to the, to the servants and she says, listen, whatever he says to you, for you to do, you do it. He instructs them according to, to, to certain details. And he says, listen, find these water pots. I need for you to fill it with water. And then I want you to take from, from the water that you, you poured in, I need for you to take out a cup and take it to the master of ceremonies. And in the process of dipping from that pot and the master of ceremonies putting that drink to his mouth, it went from water to wine. That might shock some of us. Because, Brother Morgan, are you saying that Jesus Christ, he, he endorsed drinking? We'll talk about that next time. But the point is, each and every single one of these signs had details that would shock the believer even today. Think about the situation that we're going to encounter in a little while with Lazarus. Jesus would have heard that Lazarus, his friend, the scripture would define it, his relationship, the one whom you loved, Jesus, is sick and he is sick unto death. And rather than, you, you know how we do as Christians when you hear somebody is sick or you hear somebody is ailing, what do we do? We drop whatever we're doing and we want to be there at the bedside. Am I, am I wrong or am I right? The average person, the average friend, if, if they are close enough, if it, if it involves me having to, to get in my car and drive a few miles to go and be by somebody's bedside who I, who I deem to be a close friend, I'm there. But Jesus waited two extra days. And even when he makes his way into Bethany where his friends were, by this point in time, his friend was already in the grave four days. Well, what are you saying, Brother Morgan? I'm saying every single one of these seven signs had some shocking details about it. You will question Jesus' loyalty if you're looking at it from a physical standpoint. You will question Jesus' friendship if you're looking at, at it from a physical standpoint. You will question Jesus' power if you are looking at it from a physical standpoint you will question Jesus's motivation if you are looking at this from a physical standpoint every single one of these signs had something that would rock and shock the human thinking not only was it shocking not only did these signs have some shocking details but they had some unique characteristics as well and some intricate 
details. In other words, we have to pay close attention to, to what we're reading because if we are not careful, we sometimes glaze over things that is meant to help us understand the totality and the depth of what is being shared. So we need to be people who don't just think, well, I know this text and I've heard this text preached time and time and time again. So I don't need to take my Bible out and I don't need to look at this word and look at this sentence and look at this passage and see where this falls in the grand scheme of things. So as we think about where our text lies here, among other things, is what the Gospel of John wants to teach us. Even as we think about the text where we are at number one, I want us to see that the Gospel of John, and even found in the book of, uh, in, in the chapter of chapter number 11, the Gospel of John wants to teach the believer that God is with us. Could you repeat that? God is with us. We'll see that in the Gospel of John chapter number 11, but in its totality, the Gospel of John wants to teach the believer that God is with us. In other words, he will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter how things look, God is with you. It doesn't matter how you might feel, God is with you. Could we be honest sometimes that sometimes we don't feel that God is with us? Do I have some honest people here to say that sometimes when you pray or maybe you have prayed in your life at times and you pray and you don't feel like if God is there here in your prayer? Is, is it just me? Let, let, let me confess, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner from time to time. And there have been times in my life, church, when, when I'm praying to God and I'm on my knees or I'm, on my, on my, I'm prostrated outwards and I'm praying to God. And as I'm, I'm crying, I'm pleading with God, I'm pleading and in my pleading, there have been times when I didn't feel like if God was there. But thanks be to God that, that I can't lean always on feelings. Sometimes if you lean on what you feel, you will miss what you know. And so the gospel of John wants to teach us. I don't even know if I'll get to my message because I need to. I need, but the gospel of John wants to teach us that God is with us. He will never leave you, church, nor forsake you. In your frustration, in your distress, in your anger, in your anxiety, in your loneliness, in your shame. God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. I know that that's true because I, if I think back to the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned and, 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 and they ate of the fruit that was in the midst of the garden, God didn't leave them there. When Cain slew Abel, his brother, and he was worthy of death by our standards, God didn't leave him. When the children of Israel sinned in the wilderness, God didn't leave them. I'm trying to help us to see that all along through the history of mankind, God was trying to showcase to us, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I know it's hard sometimes. I know life bowls, bowls us over at times. I know sometimes there are things that go through our minds, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. There is no sin too great for me that my grace can't find you. There is no distance that you can go that my love isn't there. So the Gospel of John, if, if you're there with me, if the Gospel of John... And by extension, our text in John chapter number 11, I'm just highlighting this. The gospel of John wants to teach us that God is with us. I'm getting too excited. Secondly, I want us to see that the gospel of John wants to teach us that God, no matter how things look, is always in control. 
I think many a time some of our anxieties and, and some of our stress comes as a result of the fact that we recognize that we don't have control and we want to have control over things. But in as much as this world is spiraling down, Tim, in as much as things are becoming harder and harder in the workplace and, and families seem to be dropping by the wayside, in as much as churches are closing their doors, in as much as life seems to be becoming harder and harder and harder, I need for us to see the Gospel of John is trying to teach us God is still on his throne. It doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter what happens on the outside, it doesn't matter what's going on in the body. God is still in control. Number three, number three, not only does the Gospel of John want to teach us that God is with us, not only does the Gospel of John want to teach us that God is always, always, say always. always. Not some of the times. Always. But all of the times, God is always in control. But number three... He wants to teach us that his sheep, catch this, don't have time to develop this. But the Gospel of John wants to teach us, the Gospel writer, the Holy Spirit wants to teach the believers that God's sheep knows his voice. What do you mean, Brother Morgan? Well, I thought you were talking about this is John chapter number 11. This is all in John chapter number 11, by the way. Do you remember when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus? His sister said, Lord, what are you going to do by now? Surely he stinketh. It's been four days. He said, I don't care about that. You're looking at what you're looking for. I am the resurrection and the life. Lord, I know we're going to have the resurrection in, in, in the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand all that. You understand good theology, Martha and Mary. You understand the, the resurrection that is to come. But I need for you to understand, if you have me in your life right now, you have life now and in the future. Don't just wait. In other words, you don't have to wait until you, you receive heaven to understand that you have life because you have Christ. Once you have Christ, you have life. So notice this, notice this. He stands before the tomb. He stands before the tomb. And as he stands before the tomb, he tells them, roll the stone away. I know you didn't read this, but he said, roll the stone away. Let me show you Christ's power. When he stood before the tomb, he has a host and a multitude that's waiting to see what he's going to do. I'm trying to help you to recognize that Jesus will never disappoint. And on his way to bringing victory into you and my life, he will get his glory and his name will be spread. You, you don't miss that. As God works in our lives, there are people looking on. And as he works in the life of you and me to bring about victory, to bring about healing, to bring about resurrection, he will get his glory and his name will be spread. What do you mean, preacher? Well, that marriage that was on the rocks, that God brought back and brought back stronger than before, that's God getting his glory to show that I can bring back a marriage. That young man and young woman who is hung up and strung out on drugs and, and everybody gave up on them. God is saying, if I could bring back that person, then I will get my glory and my name will be spread. You see in it, there is no distance too far. There is no place too deep that God can get to you and me. And so as he stands before the tomb, as they remove the stone, he stands there and he cries out, Lazarus. My voice is going, so I have to kind of whisper, scream. He says, Lazarus, come forth. 
You know why he had to say Lazarus? You know why he had to say Lazarus, church? If all he said was come forth, they would have had a serious problem with some dead people coming back to life. <laughs> that's how powerful Jesus is. That's, that's how powerful God incarnate in the flesh, the, the one who was and is and, and is to come. He's so powerful that had he not said Lazarus, the entire grave would have given up its dead. But notice this, I'm trying to help us to see that the gospel writer of John is trying to help us to understand and recognize that God knows his sheep and his sheep knows his voice. In death on a cold slab, stinking after four days, wrapped up, mummified, Lazarus hears his name from Hades. He hears his name, Lazarus. And the scripture says, Hades, the, the gates of hell, could not prevail against those who are connected to the Christ. So on a cold slab, <laughs> you might be excited, but I'm excited. On a cold slab, anybody ever felt, figuratively speaking, that you were in a place and you were dead? There was no moving forward, there's no moving back. Anybody ever tried to, to, to try and get out of your situation? But it didn't matter how, how hard you tried or what you did, you, you, you felt like if you were only digging yourself deeper and deeper into a hole. I'm saying sometimes even on a cold slab, the sheep of God still is able to hear the voice of God. In other words, if you are his sheep, listen this church, anybody here ever suffer frustration before? Come on, raise your hand. Anybody here ever suffered anxiety before? Anybody here ever suffered heartbreak? Anybody here ever go through depression? Whatever your state of emotional and mental well-being, because you are his sheep, you are supposed to know his voice. You guys with me? I'm not saying don't go to your therapist. I'm not saying don't take your pills. I'm not saying don't have your little space set up for feng shui or whatever, but understand that the voices in your head can't outweigh and outscream the voice of the shepherd. You might think you're not worthy, but he says you are. You might think, or the world might have said to you, you might not amount to anything, but he says, in me all things and through me all things are possible. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. I wish, I wish, I wish we'd have more people who would understand that. Listen, it doesn't matter what you are going through. If you have a connection to the shepherd and you know his voice, he is able to call your name out of your frustration. Call your name out of your death. Call your name out of death. Call your name out of anxiety. Even though you are going through a time of period of mourning and pain, he still has the ability to call your name. So the people of God, the gospel writer is trying to teach us that his sheep knows his voice. And if you're not too sophisticated, you could say amen to that. Amen. Finally, 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 the gospel of John not only wants to teach us that God is with us. The gospel of John not only wants to teach us that God is always in control. The gospel of John not only wants to teach us that his sheep knows his voice. But if you've been tracking along all along and you've been taking notes, finally the Gospel of John wants to teach us that tragedy, say tragedy, will not have the final say. That's right there in the context and in text of John chapter number 11. Tragedy will not have the final word in your life. 
Mary and Martha thought that the tragedy of the loss of their brother was going to have the final say. But it's amazing that once Jesus enters, truly enters, if we submit to Jesus, any situation that was deemed a lost cause could find redemption. Did did, did you hear that? let, Let me say that one more time. It's amazing that when Jesus enters the scene and when we submit to him, any situation, any person that was deemed a lost cause becomes a symbol of his redemption. Church, here's what I want us to see and we'll be done. As we think about the, the fact that we will go through, in this life we will go through hardship. Tim, let me talk to you for a second. And I'm talking to you as a representative of all young people. You're young and you have some strength. You're beautiful, bro. You're beautiful. Even in your beauty and your youth, you'll go through hardship. And if you're not careful, if you don't start to to prepare yourself now to go through that hardship, if you don't learn to hear the voice of Christ, to understand that in your hardship and in your brokenness and all that kind of stuff, if you don't learn to hear his voice, then you'll just stay in despair. So you have to learn from now what it means to connect with your Christ. Not in a shallow way. That's what these gospel teachings is all about. It's not to connect in a shallow way. Shallowness says, I'm a believer. Depth says, I'll follow you till death. Shallowness says, I'm just coming to church. Depth says, I am the church. Follow me. Shallowness says, well, I'll get up and read a scripture every day. Depth says that scripture is in my heart and in my, in, in, my, in my soul. And so he wants us to go beyond the shallow Tim and get into a place of depth. Depth is where I'm assured that no matter what I go through, he's right there. Depth says that no matter how I feel, he still cares. You follow me on this? Depth says in as much as people will talk bad about me and in as much as I'll encounter things in life, I could still hold on to Christ unchanging hand. Tim, you with me, bro? So when we think about the reality of Christianity, Christianity is not a religion to be lived in the shallows. It's a lifestyle to be received in its depth. So here's what I want us to see and we'll be done. Oh, it's beautiful. It's 10 o'clock. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's all stand, church. Here are the two things I want us to see. I say two things. I already gave four. But here are the two things I want to leave us with as we close. When tragedy strikes, here's what I want us to know. Number one, a delayed response does not mean a denied request. Sometimes you might be praying for something and you feel like the answer isn't coming. Don't think that because your request has yet to be, be answered that, you know, it, it, it's totally denied. You think about the reality of Lazarus. Lazarus has already been, been dead. Jesus was waiting, but he was waiting for what? The right time. Sometimes it's all about the timing. Could I... I was being open and honest before, but whenever I say, could I be open and honest, all I'm saying is, could I go a little bit more in depth, right? Could I be honest? Yes, sir. 
I prayed for a good spouse for years. And it wasn't until God's time was ready did I find that spouse. So delayed doesn't mean denied. Some of us are praying for companionship, and it, it might feel like the companionship isn't coming, but delayed doesn't mean denied. So that's what I want us to see, number one. Let's recognize that a delayed response doesn't mean a denied request. And number two, if you forget everything, don't forget this, that no one, say no one, no. nothing, say nothing, is too far gone for God. 